0: Hello, I'm Anthony Morrow and this is Get On The Money. This podcast is all about helping you understand how to look after your money. I've worked in the finance industry for 20 years and I think it's still far too complicated for most people to get their head around. I've watched those with the most money grow richer while the people who need the most help continue to struggle. You never get to learn about money at school, so every week I'll be sharing a bite-sized lesson on a different money issue. Basically, if you don't understand your money, then I'm here to help. This episode, you're gonna be hearing from Des Lynch from Wood Street Mission. Des helps people whose money is really tight.
1: If you're living below the poverty line, every day is a struggle, whether it's a choice of whether you get a bus to work or whether you maybe buy some food in for your kids. It's really basic levels like that. They're the fundamental day-to-day decisions that have to be made. Unfortunately,
0: I think it's important for you to hear what Des has to say, so you can hear what it's like to have to think really carefully about the money you spend. How do you prioritise? How do you budget? I'll be giving you some tips on both later on. But first, I want to talk to you about something I read in the news recently, and how it could impact the cash in your pocket. I've been reading quite a few articles about buy now, pay later services, and I'm sure Like me, you're seeing lots of adverts for them across multiple social channels. I've got a few thoughts around these services. Some are good, some are bad, but there are real risks to using these. And I'm not convinced that part of the industry is doing all it can to make sure that the people it's targeting understand those risks. They are fantastic if you could afford to buy it outright in the first place. If I'm buying something for, you know, a couple of hundred quid, do I pay 200 quid now, or do I pay 65 quid a month? But the thing with debt, any debt, is it becomes a problem at any point in time, you couldn't pay it off. So even with a house, even if you look at a house, you know, if you suddenly went, I want to pay off all my debts, you could do it because Your house should be worth more than the mortgage on it. You own more than you owe. Once you start getting to the point where actually I've got five grand on my credit card, I've got no money in the bank and I earn a grand a month. That's a problem because you're never paying that off ever, unless you don't live. You know, it's, you, could, you, you know, you've got no means of paying that five grand off. The only way you could pay that five grand off is to go and get a loan for five grand. You know, so you pay that one off, but you're moving it over here. So you've got fixed payments, but you still owe more money than you've actually got. That's where debt becomes a real problem. And that's where buy now, pay later, particularly given it's framed in this sort of soft, fun way, if you're buying something for 200 pounds, because you, it means you can afford it for 60 quid, but you couldn't afford to pay 200 pounds for it, that's a problem. And that's just another form of debt. The fact it falls outside consumer credit or anything like that is totally irrelevant. And that is just, you know, buy now, pay later should be framed properly as being more important to the retailer than it is to the customer. Because all it, what it's doing, it's allowing retailers to sell to an audience that they couldn't do normally because you would have you're now opening up an audience who you've got a 200 pound item that you're being out you're going to sell to someone who's got 60 quid yeah and that's just shit to me get on the money straight talking no jargon helping you make sense of your money
1: good morning des how are you Morning, Nancy. I'm fine, thanks. Hope you're okay.
0: Yeah, not too bad, all things considered. Have you ever done a podcast before?
1: I've never done an actual podcast, no. I've done various interviews for various media outlets over the years at Wood Street. But no, podcast is the first one for me.
0: Okay, we're in this together then, because this is my first time. What I'm trying to do is help people understand a bit more about their money and hopefully avoid some of the poor decisions that we all make from time to time. I think one of the reasons I think it's important and the link to why I'm delighted to have you as a guest, is that we know how difficult life can be when money is tight. So just helping people recognize those danger areas, provide them with tips and advice, I think could go a long way to improving even slightly people's relationship with money. For people who haven't heard of Wood Street Mission, could you just tell us a little bit about what you do and and where it's come from?
1: Yeah sure, Wood Street Mission is a children's charity. It was set up in 1869 so we're one of the oldest in the region and we deal with children living in poverty in Manchester and Salford. We provide basic provision for families uh, in need throughout, as I say, throughout Manchester and Salford so it can be everything from clothing, bedding, toys, nursery equipment, increasingly books uh, on the literacy side of things. And we take kids out for uh, childhood experiences to give them an experience of somewhere that maybe they wouldn't necessarily get to go to. That is when the world becomes right
0: again. I came down before Christmas to the shop that you'd set up and it was a really impressive operation. Could you just give us an idea of the scale of what that delivered?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the scale of it this year, it was quite extraordinary, really, because come summertime last year, we really didn't know if uh, the Christmas project would go ahead at all which would have been the first time in 151 years of Wood Street that they hadn't done a Christmas project of some kind. But because of the pandemic, we needed to find alternative venue. Thankfully, the guys at Great Northern stepped up and offered us their venue free, which was fantastic. So we took over it for about six weeks. So it basically meant that this year we were able to distribute over 15,000 toys to local children throughout Manchester and Salford, which was a phenomenal effort.
0: There yeah. is. I mean, that's incredible. Just touching upon the the pandemic, clearly, over the last, you know, almost 12 months, although it seemed a lot more than that at the moment, mm-hmm. it's impacted a lot of people. I imagine it's impacted the people who, you know, traditionally come to see uh, Wood Street. How has it been, you know, both from, a, from the charity's point of view, but also what have you seen from the people who've been still coming to see you? Because obviously, their needs have probably got greater over that time.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, you know, the families that we see on a normal day-to-day basis are already some of the hardest hit in society and struggling more than most. So to have this happen then obviously affected them even more so. Our services have been limited. We've carried on with the crisis service throughout uh, the pandemic, uh, delivering emergency goods, emergency items to families that are most in need through a referral system. But what it's meant for Wood Street and for me personally, is there's been, unfortunately, a disconnect because Wood Street is always at the forefront of helping people and it's in very practical ways. So families come into us and they normally choose their items. They usually choose their clothing or choose the bedding, choose the toys, whatever we're actually doing with them. And, of course, we've not been able to do that, unfortunately, and there is a disconnect. On the fundraising side, it's, we're like uh, so many other charities where we've been hit because uh, fundraising has been down But what we are fortunate in having such a loyal uh, donor base, they've really stepped up to the mark. Christmas was a prime example of that. I mean, we really didn't know how many donations of toys we would get in, how it would affect us. And it was phenomenal. The people, Mm. local people just stepped up to the plate and they sent us in their gifts through Amazon. We collected gifts. Companies went out and bought gifts for us. It was just a, a tremendous response, really
0: yeah it certainly was i mean i i saw that just the sheer number of gifts there and Mm. and and the families who were coming in to enjoy them and you could see the real difference that it was going to make to their christmases Mm. Uh, so it's a fantastic a fantastic thing because i think one of the uh, areas that the pandemic has really highlighted is the real sense of inequality that exists in this country and and the number of people who live on a day-to-day basis on or below the poverty line. And that's really a hallmark of the customers that you see, the people that come to see you. Can you just describe for us what living below the poverty line means for people?
1: Unless you've been there, it's hard to uh, imagine, I think, for a lot of people, why it's so difficult in such a, a modern country. If you're living below the poverty line, every day is a struggle. From the most practical things, whether it's a choice of whether you get a bus to work or whether you maybe buy some food in for your kids or vice versa, it's really basic levels like that. Do you pay your electricity bill this week or do you let that go because the kids need a new pair of shoes or something like that? They're the fundamental Mm. day-to-day decisions that have to be made, unfortunately.
0: I don't want to over-politicize this, but, you know, there are certain parts of the media that presents an image of people in poverty that I think, you know, feeds a prejudice when we start talking about what the answers are around benefit reform, mm-hmm. you know, that they'll only spend it on fags and drink. Does any of that ring true to what you see on a day-to-day basis?
1: Very little, some elements, it would be, you know, it would be untrue to say that some don't. But if you think about it, Anthony, if you look at Wood Street as a whole, we've been around for 151 years. So we've had various governments of various political persuasions within that period of time. And there's no government, not one government, that has ever tackled fully child poverty in this country and the issues that surround it. Because it's a longer term need that's out there. It needs cross-party political support, which is very difficult to attain. And it means there has to be some long-term thinking and strategic planning into it. So it's not just one government or one set of ministers that decide, right, we're going to tackle child poverty and we're going to do it this way. That needs to carry on for the next 10, 15, 20 years to have a real impact. And there's this image out there that everybody's on benefits. Some people are. Benefits have been cut, no matter what you like. they like to think they have been cut over the last few years. There's no doubt about that. But... It surprises a lot of people when they say that for the last mm, seven, eight, nine years, maybe. The vast majority of people coming to Wood Street are working poor. So that means that either one or both parents are in a form of work of some kind. It's not true that they're on benefits. It's, it's because of poor rates of pay. Zero hour contracts are a nightmare. They only benefit the companies. They certainly don't benefit the individuals. And, you know, you're talking about budgets and finances and things like that. You can be the best budgeter in the world, but I would defy anybody mm. to be able to budget if they don't know what they're going to earn each week, whether it's going to be whether they're working 48 hours one week, 13 the next, 12 the next, 35 the next, or nothing. How can you possibly budget for that?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a really good point. In terms of, you know, the answers to a lot of these questions are long term mm-hmm. in nature and require some real thought from a, certainly from the political classes as to how what the long term well, how they deal with the long term welfare state. How does it feel when you have people who come to see you, you're helping them and then suddenly they turn around and say, actually, we don't need your support anymore. Uh, we can support ourselves.
1: But it's a great feeling because then you know that uh, you've done what you set out to do which was to make a difference and it's a tremendous feeling that I have to say women who have fled violence are particularly strong in this area because they may have picked up their children and fled with with absolutely nothing they've come to us for a period of time with support for support rather and then after a while they turn around and say just that I'm okay now I've got myself on my feet and I'd like to give something back to you, and quite often these people are unable to give financially uh, because they're not, I don't know, able. But what they do is they give us their kids' clothes again, or their nursery equipment that they've used, and things like that. So they they are actually giving something back to the very organisation that's helped them, and it's a tremendous feeling. And then when they have the other scale of the. of the the matter really, where you get a donor um, who received his first ever toy from Wood Street at Christmas time back in the 60s. And uh, is now a very, very successful businessman and supports us in any way you can. And indeed, one of the uh, volunteers at Christmas that helped us out the Great Northern was a former client who came to us uh, with a family uh, in the 80s and we supported them through toys and various goods over the years and now has her own business and employs 18 people and she ended up this christmas going out and fundraising and ended up giving us or donating to us over 1200 selection boxes believe it or not so there are some real success stories out there and so many of course that you don't hear about that we gave a little lift up to on the way and they go on their way so it really has it has a quite significant impact and a lot of people throughout the area, I'm proud to say.
0: It certainly does. And what do you think the single biggest factor is for people supporting themselves?
1: I think it's giving them confidence, Anthony, to be honest. I think if they come into us as children, as families, and they haven't got the basic things like clothing, so they don't fit in in society, the children don't fit in at school because they haven't got the right uniform on, they may have the skills and the ability to go much further than they're actually doing at the time. If they fit in, then it's up to them whether they take those skills and that ability on. And I think for a lot of people, given a a level playing field, that's exactly what they do. And it's given that confidence level and then they go on to bigger and better things and be self-sufficient.
0: What sort of support do you think is out there for people who you know, are unsure about these things? Because a lot, a lot, a lot of things, in, certainly in financial life, can be quite complex.
1: Well, I think initially, I think we have to go back to education. I think we have to go back to uh, school days for children. And I think over the years, the focus has been on exams and exam results, which I understand that's quite right about that. But I do think we're missing a trick here for the longer term development of the country. Because if you teach children the basic skills in life as well, surely that's got to help. And if we taught some budgetary skills to children, alongside buying food and tie it in with various other things, because you can make budgets interesting. I know some schools do it on football teams, how much they've spent and things like that. You can make it interesting to a child and therefore instill some sense of budgetary control into them at a very early age. But the effort has to be put in as I say, at that early age through the skill system.
0: Yeah. Is that anything that uh, Wood Street gets involved in? Because I know you do day workshops and book clubs and things like that. Does your remit extend to helping people with basic no it, skills. no it
1: doesn't and the re- reason it doesn't is because there are other organizations out there that okay. could do it and do do it so we try not to step on other organizations toes because they're already doing a perfectly good job however before the lockdown happened I was looking at taking uh, certainly the family basics project that we do throughout the year, which provides basic items. As it says on the tin, it's everything from clothing, toiletries, toys, bedding, that kind of thing, it's day-to-day equipment for people. And then I was going to try then add on, linking up with the likes of Citizens uh, Advice Bureau mm. or a company, for instance, that would provide volunteers to, uh, to provide impartial advice. So I was looking at doing that. So I think it's certainly, from our point of view, something that I'm interested in doing and I'd look to do in the future once we're allowed to uh, to set up outreach projects, really.
0: And there's a lot a lot of work to be done and arguably things could get worse before they get better. What are you thinking at Wood Street for the, the rest of this year?
1: At the moment, we're continuing to do our crisis service for emergency referrals for families uh, via workers. And we're also distributing books for children, so that's what we're going to continue to do because literacy is part of the education system and education ultimately is the way of breaking the cycle of poverty in this country and if we can do anything to help that that's what we're trying to do
0: it's always a pleasure talking to you and really humbling and amazing to hear the great work that you always do at wood street mission so thanks again and wishing you all the best for the rest of the year des thinks budgeting and basic money education should be taught in schools and i couldn't agree more Starting a budget can be really simple but it can also be a really important step to getting control of your finances. Set aside an hour a month with your bank statements so that you can see what you're spending your money on. A piece of paper and on one side how much money you've got coming in and then on the other side how much money you've got going out. Once you've written down what you have coming in and going out then break the going out column down into essentials and non-essentials. By essentials, we mean anything that, you know, has to be paid. The non-essentials are things like going out, you know, socializing, subscriptions. Once you've got those two columns and you've updated it over the month, then you get a really great picture of what's coming in and what's going out or incomings and outgoings. Setting aside an hour a month to go through those outgoings will really help you identify areas where you could save money. That could be either seeing that actually you're spending too much going out and therefore for the next month, you're going to go out a little bit less, or you might find a subscription that you set up during lockdown and forgotten all about, and you can cancel that and there's some money that you are saving immediately. If you think your budget's stretched, then look at vouchers and cashback schemes that are offered by an increasing number of retailers and shops and that will help your money go further. Also, in terms of bills, make sure that you're on the best rates. You know, a great example of this is gas and electricity. So, you know, because we've all been locked down, then we've been using more gas and electricity which means our gas and electricity bills are going up okay there is any number of services out there that you can use to make sure you're on the most competitive rate it's really simple to do and not doing it means that you could just be wasting money paying more than you actually need to the important thing with budgets is you have to keep going so set aside some time every month or even every week And just make sure you're writing down what it is that you're spending and also whether or not there's any changes to your income. So if you're on a zero hour contract or you've got flexible working that is going to change your income, then make sure you update that budget. The more up to date that budget, the more control you have over your finances. If you're getting good tips and advice from Get On The Money, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Get On The Money is out every other Thursday. If you want to find out more about Open Money, please head to open-money.co.uk. Thanks and see you next time.